Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Hi, everyone. It's Aliza Licht here with Leave Your Mark Podcast, and today I have the pleasure of sitting on Nicole Lappin's bathroom floor <laughs> recording her podcast interview. It's happening. Nicole is just an amazing friend. She's a financial genius. She's the author of Rich Bitch and Boss Bitch. And Nicole, thank you for letting me sit on your bathroom floor today. Anytime. I would not tape a podcast with any other human wearing matching headbands you know, in my bathroom besides you. Because we're in New York City, and honestly, the ambulance is going by. It's out of control. And this is real. This is so real. We're getting real. So we all know where you ended up now, right? Where did you start? Where'd you go to college? I went to Northwestern. And you majored in finance? Uh, negative. That was the last thing I thought I would ever be talking about, much less talking to other people about, much less teaching the world about, I am the least likely person to be a finance anything. I majored in journalism and poli-sci. Okay, so how did you, you were good at math though? No, and I'm not good at math now. Wow. Okay, so then you need to walk us through how this occurred. Because if I can do it, anyone can do it. It's true. I grew up in an immigrant family. I'm first-generation American, super broken home. My father died. We're going to get real. We're, yeah. in the, we're in the bathroom, so yeah. we're getting real, real. Uh, he died of a drug overdose when I was 11. Wow. Um, my mother sort of pieced out, and so I was on my own very early on, and I just needed a job. And so I started working when I was 15, and um, by the time... I was 18. I had already had these jobs in small markets. So I wanted to be an anchor on CNN. I used to say in these small little newspapers, if I could say Nicole Lapp in CNN before I die, I'll die a happy woman. Oh, so that was like your bucket list. Yeah, totally. And I got there when I was 21. So if we want to fast forward or I can go through all the times that I was like in South Dakota or Lexington, Kentucky. I mean, I didn't have any connections. So what did you know do? Anybody. So I was just in local news. I covered you know, the floods and the fires in like these random markets to try and work your way up. This was like pre-YouTube. But back up though, how did you even get them to respond to you? You I sent out 200 tapes. I made, I actually have in my closet when we leave the bathroom area and go to my office, I have one of my first VHS tapes that I sent to every station across the country. And I remember trying to leave my mark early on by changing the color of the box to red 
and the type that I used to red. So it stood out amongst the tapes. Wow. If anyone even remembers VHS tapes. I do. Like the sleeves, they were all black and they were all handwritten on. So I made mine red so it stood out. And then I got real fancy and I'll show you. I had that plastic cover and I, in my very limited Photoshop skills, designed like a little cover like a movie like we used to have. And I put little pictures of me and, you know, the contents of what was on the tape. And then I also tried to leave my mark by looking up all of the stories in that particular market and writing letters to the news directors at the time that always came from a sense. And I didn't even know strategically what I was doing of service versus like me, 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 show you me, 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 me. And this is how fabulous I am. I was like, hey, if I work here, here are the three stories I will pitch and contribute on day one. Here's how I can help your station. I think that's a really important point because when people are looking for jobs, inevitably they rewrite their resume. It's like, look at all these amazing things I did. They never turn it around. Totally. And also when you have a chance for a cover letter or even an interview. And now that I have employees, I listen to people regurgitate their resume to me. I'm like, um, hello, I see this in your resume. What else do I need to know? Like, tell me a story. Yeah. Tell me who you are. And so that's what I tried to do. And that's how I got these random jobs in God knows where America. And then when I was 18, I wanted to work my way into big market Milwaukee. So if you don't know how like the TV markets work, it's the number one stations are New York. Like that's the number one media market because that's the biggest. And then it goes down from there. So I was working in markets like 100 something, you know, I think it goes up to 200 ish. And I had done that. And then I was ready for a big market Milwaukee, which Milwaukee was close to Northwestern, which is in Chicago. And so I thought I could take the train. I don't know about math and clearly I don't know about geography because I thought that was like something I could do. (laughs) Apparently that's not a thing. So Milwaukee was market like 30 maybe at the time. Terrible. Um, Right. And so I went in, I stopped the station chief um, that owned a station there and some other little stations in Chicago. And I remember marching in there and saying, I'm ready for big market Milwaukee. And I like wore my shoulder pads and teased my hair. And I like really tried to act older and have gravitas. And he was like, okay, so that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You're not taking the train to Milwaukee every day, but do you know anything about business news? (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Mic drop. My armpits are sweating. Like I need maxi pads under there. I am like... (laughs) Maybe Botox. Botox I couldn't afford at the time, but it was so scary to me because it was the topic that I hated the most. I mean, remember I grew up in an immigrant household and like a lot of first-generation American families, they use cash. Like, they don't use the dishwasher. Yeah, I didn't grow up using the dishwasher either because also we are from a European background as well. So that's what I found. All immigrant families do not use the dishwasher. No, they're scared of it. I know. They're like pristine when you leave a place. And they use cash. Like, everything was green cash. I mean, it sounds really gangster monster, but... It was really embarrassing for me at the time when I would go to dinner with girlfriends and I would like literally have a check. That was all I had. I didn't have a debit card. Like I didn't understand about stocks or bonds or like I didn't have the Wall Street Journal on the kitchen counter. Nobody was like, you know, the Brady Bunch. Let's talk about the stock market today. Like it couldn't have been farther from the truth. Unbelievable. So I faked it till I made it. So he asked you this question. What do you say? Yes. You say yes. I say yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know about finance. Okay. So and I was like, I'll figure it out. 
So you don't suffer from imposter syndrome. Oh, girl, I so suffer from imposter syndrome. I talk about this so much, especially in Boss Bitch, how I felt like I never belonged there, especially later at CNN where I got my dream job at 21. I thought my badge wasn't going to work all the time. I was like, wait, they made a mistake. Did they know how old I am? Like, I don't belong in this building. I'm an anchor at CNN. I was hired when I was 20. Like I auditioned with a bunch of people, but like they clearly made a mistake. So every day I've struggled until recently. I still, you know, there are more good days than bad days, but still sometimes I'm like, wait, 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 do I know what I'm talking about? And so I have struggled with imposter syndrome. Like you have, and like a lot of women have, and most especially then. So I was 18 at the time. My boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I thought he wanted to be in gardening. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I'm Elle Woods brunette version, like Jewish Elle Woods. And classic. He dumped me. Girl, he dumped me because I couldn't hang out with his Wall Street friends. Wow. Because I didn't know about finance at the time. So yeah, you have I to mean, know about finance. Hang he's out definitely not the one that got away. <laughs> wow, that's pretty hardcore. Super hardcore. Then fast forward a decade later, like his Wall Street friends, like, oh, called me to hang out. Yes, and maybe for some financial and, advice. Yeah, and other things. But going back to the question of do you know business, like, I think it's interesting because I know that if I was asked that question, I'm really honest and I'd be like, well, I don't know business, but. Mm. So what made you just say yes? You know, for me, I knew that I could figure out anything. But how did you know that? And I didn't have another choice. So I had imposter syndrome also about like my bad upbringing. And I used to try and pretend like everything was fine. And only in the last few years when I wrote Rich Bitch, you know, did I really open kimono. Like I worked for big news networks as an anchor for more than a decade, like CNN, then later CNBC, then Bloomberg. And I just thought I had to be veneered and pristine and I would just like sort of whitewash my story. And I think when I was finally able to confront it and say, really part of the reason I succeeded early on is because I didn't have another choice. Like I didn't have a couch to go to. I didn't have a backup plan. And like there was no other option. So would you call yourself a planner or you just sort of dive right in? think I dive right in, especially with early career stuff. Like, you know, when people ask me, how did I build this brand as this financial person? Like, I have no idea. Like, I didn't plan it. Honestly, I did not plan it. I just figured out how to love what I do, not do what I love. And I think right now we hear a lot of these entrepreneurial experts who say like, just go out and do what you love, like burn your corporate bra, like FOMO, YOLO, whatever, yo, and just do it. If not now, when? And I'm like, well, okay, cool. But if you have bills to pay and like real life to deal with, that might not be an option. And so finance was the least interesting topic to me ever in the history of the world. But I figured out somehow how to say, okay, well, here's the opportunity I have. I need a job. So here's the job I have. And it wasn't immediate that I made it my own, but it took me a while to then love what I do. And that's how I still do it today. So I have mentored tons of people I've hired over the years. And at any time, you know, a company will send out an email saying, you know, on Monday, you can sign up for your 401k or whatever Mm. the case may be. 
everyone inevitably is like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I can't afford to do that. I'm not going to do that. So talk a little bit about what you feel people who are starting out in their careers, what are the either biggest mistakes people make with their finances or what would you recommend that they do? Join the language first and foremost. When I say I could do it, anyone can do it. You know, money is just a language like anything else. And I think that's the most intimidating part of getting your financial life together is just speaking the language. I realized that it's a language that we just didn't have a Rosetta Stone growing up for. So, you know, I couldn't blame myself, but I also had to become real. So I didn't learn it in school like you didn't. We learn really ridiculous things. Like I have no idea why we need to know geometry or you see it with your kids. Like, why are they learning this stuff? Wouldn't it be way more helpful if Sabrina like learned how to do a business plan or her taxes or a budget or like 100%. how to write a check versus like how to make an isosceles triangle or whatever? No, she just knows how to subtract money, actually. Get it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> subtract, not add. Subtract. <laughs> And, you know, I didn't learn it in my family. You probably didn't learn about this stuff in your family. Like you asked me about bond, I would have said bond girl or something. That's like the extent of my knowledge. But you also have to say just because it's always been done a certain way doesn't mean it's the way it always has to be. And at some point you have to put on your big girl undies and get real and say, I forgive my former self. Like I forgive former Nicole for not knowing what she didn't know. Like, but future Nicole, there is no excuse. There is no excuse for not knowing it now. So it's a long preamble about your 401k to say, first, you have to put the big oral undies on and understand that money is a language like anything else. If you went to China and you didn't speak Chinese, you would be super confused. If you go to Wall Street like I did and did not speak the language of money, you would be super confused until you learn it. And then it starts looking like some language you can understand. And then you start speaking it. And then I spoke it to the world. Now I speak it to other people. And it's become easier because I just dove in. And so with 401ks, like, I don't know why the language is unnecessarily annoying to be part of, or maybe it keeps people out because of it. But once you learn that shorting is not the opposite of tall in stock speak, it's just the opposite of long, and it means something's going in the pooper, like, that's all you need to know. And 401ks, like, are the darling of the retirement community, but they're not the only girl at the retirement party. And, like, IRAs are super awesome because they're, like, individual, and you can go to your bank and just sign up for them. And there's a little bit of a limit, but you can take them wherever you want to go. And then you just start changing your mindset. I think if you put your big girl undies on, learn the language, and then change your mindset, I think your finances will follow. Because we often come to finances from a place of deprivation. So what did you say that some of the girls at the office said, you know, on Monday, they don't want to do it because they can't afford it. Well, that's coming from a place of deprivation. I can't buy the latte, you know, and put my sassy red lipstick on the side of the cup, obviously, because like, you know, I need to save, you know, instead, it's much better to focus on making more money, because then you're coming to this from a place of aspiration versus like clipping coupons and digging in the couch for coins or whatnot. And so saving for your future self is so awesome. Like if you look at 401ks, you're going to be a super badass Betty White when you're old, like that's a better way to think about it. And so I think it's about really just changing your mindset. So when you were growing up in the industry, were you sort of conscious of this is how much I'm making, this is how much I'm saving? Like how 
frivolous were you or thrifty? How did you handle your own money? I was money? terrible. You were terrible. I was terrible. That's why I do this now is because I was like, I know exactly what it's like to be in. So in did debt. you know you were being bad at the time? You know what's funny? I didn't know because I didn't know anything else. It's only now that I have perspective that I can say like those weren't the greatest habits. But I remember when I started making money and I got myself my first credit card because remember, like I didn't have that growing up. I felt super weird when everybody like threw their little plastic thing down and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, and I went crazy. Like I was so excited and I got myself in about $5,000 of credit card debt. You know, I was an anchor at the time, but I wasn't making a ton of money. And in my books, I talk about exactly what my salaries were because if I'm out there like preaching financial transparency and telling women to talk about money, then I'm going to put my money where my mouth is literally. And I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I mean, I would just imagine if somebody was reading my book and they're like, well, what did this girl make? So I just do it. So I'm just, I realized that, you know, you can make fun of me. You can laugh with me at me as long as you're laughing or smiling when you think about money, like I'll take it for the team. And so, yeah, I got myself in a ton of credit card debt and then I figured out how to get out of it the hard way. And I'm still not perfect with money stuff now. I just happen to know more. I don't come to this as like, I am some like voice of God holier than thou. I'm like, I speak just the way I'm speaking to you now on the bathroom floor. No, well, that's why people love hearing you give this advice. I mean, listen, so would you recommend that people don't get credit cards right away? Like my uncle, for example, who's in his 60s, did not have a credit card, I think, till he was 50. And he only got it because something he signed up for required a credit card. He literally never had one. So cute. So cute. No debt. No debt. Well, so that's what some financial experts will preach, which by the way, I, you know, I ended up getting all of my financial certifications. So I'm like legit-ish, you know, and so I can talk about this stuff if anybody is listening and thinking like, well, then why is she talking about this stuff? But I come to it from a jargon-free zone and also that like I'm still learning every single day, but I know a lot. And so hopefully I can impart that to like your uncle and everybody else. And I think there are some financial experts that say like he's doing a great job because it's like if you just buy everything with cash, like you don't need a great credit score. It's like, "Mm, okay. And then call me when like life gets real and you need to borrow money and then you're SOL, like that's not going to be a great day. And so maybe it worked out for your uncle. And and by the way, like it's not one size fits all for finance stuff. And so when people say, don't buy a latte, buy a house, I disagree with that, but maybe that works for you. And like, God bless you. Like, Go on with your bad self. But I really want to impart the idea that it's not gospel. Like any time you hear some expert, and I'm using like little quote ears, many ears, um, says like, you can't buy a latte or you can't do something like a cross support. That's ridiculous. And you should run the other way. And so I think of a financial diet a lot like a regular diet. If you allow yourself small indulgences, you won't end up binging later on. So if you allow yourself the equivalent of a Hershey's kiss in a regular diet, you won't end up binging on a big old hunk of chocolate cake in the middle of the night because you're so hungry and so deprived. I should try that actually. Last night when I was searching for chocolate in my apartment, I ended up eating a whole entire case of chocolate sprinkles. Perfect. That's the only thing I had. So is there a certain percent of your paycheck that you should just say, okay, this is just going into savings. Like I'm not even looking at this money. Yeah. So I break down an overall spending plan. So I like to call it a spending plan instead of a budget in the same way as you would call something sustainable an eating plan instead of a diet, right? Cause it's something that's more sustainable. It's allowing that financial Hershey's kiss. 
so that you don't end up binging on like a Gucci purse later. Because people will come to me in the beginning of the year and be like, oh my God, new year, new me, no lattes. And it's like, come April. But then I bought this Gucci purse because like, I was so good. And I'm like, girl, if you just bought that latte every day, like you wouldn't feel like you needed to buy something for yourself that expensive. So I break that down into the spending plan with the three E's. I also love alliteration. So essentials and game and extras. So 70% of your overall spending plan should go to the essentials. So that's your food, your transportation, your rent, everything you need to live on. Yeah, totally. Every single day, like your bills. Um, And then 15% should go to the end game, which is what you're talking about. So 15%. And if you are starting out, you can do it automatic deposit. So you don't feel it coming out of your paycheck. And so you have it in a system where it's foolproof. And then... 15% to the extras. So that latte, the mani-pedi, I mean, whatever does it for you. I'm not going to tell you how to have fun. Manicure, whatever. Totally. Just as long as you do it. As long as you account for it and put it in the budget. And if you're starting out, like I don't have cash these days because I feel like who does? But if you're starting out and you don't know like how much that 15% is going to be, but you want to stick to it pretty carefully, I would suggest taking it out in cash. And when the cash is done, the party is over for the month because it's easy to keep swipe swipe swiping swiping is so easy like when you're drunk or Friday night or yep. whatever you're doing like and Apple Pay is the devil totally the devil you mean the devil one click Amazon oh Amazon you saw my packages when you came in yes I did I mean I have my own set of Amazon packages trust me girl yeah so here's a question and I feel like this happens a lot so you know you have a group of friends they go out to dinner you know what is entertainment entertainment you know, when you're young is going out to bars, to dinner, and everyone's in a different financial situation. And you know, those group dinners end up being so expensive. Totally. So how do you remain being social and being part of a group when knowing like you can't spend $200 on a dinner on Saturday night just because you want to be part of a group? Like, is it terrible to be like, getting your own check because you didn't drink that night or like how can you sort of hack it so that you don't have to feel the pressure of spending the same amount that everyone else is when you know you can't or shouldn't be you know I think that first of all I don't love your own separate check I know that that just works for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. I think you split everything equally. This is coming from a vegan who barely drinks and like, I'll have like a side salad and you know, it's an experience. And so if you're estimating that that you're going to a fancy restaurant and that's your kind of experience, like you can't say yes to everything. Right. And as Shonda Rhimes says, no is a complete sentence. And it's about really coming up with your priorities and your boundaries and you can't have it all at the same time. I mean, you can have it all if you define what having it all means, and we can get to that if you want, but you can't do it all. I think there's a difference. Mm -hmm. You definitely can't do it all when it comes to your career and your family and your kids and doing it all at the same time. And you can't do all the fun things all the time. And I am like not the fun police for sure, because I am all about those small indulgences. But I think that if your friends are cool too, you can get a separate track if that works for you. But just understand that like, you know, then something else has to give. Yeah. I mean, listen, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of the separate check, but I have been at dinners where I know someone shouldn't be spending not to count other people's money, but you know, you know, when you're close to people, you know what 
somewhat what their financial situations are. And part of me always felt like, oh, this is a really expensive dinner for that person. Like you feel something toward it. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God, you didn't drink, like just throw in 20 bucks or whatever. So I'm usually the person to sort of offer that up as an option to whomever, because I do think it gets expensive. And you know, the truth is it's like, yeah, you can say, don't say yes to everything, but then there's good old FOMO. Totally. I have JOMO. What's JOMO? Joy of missing out. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have decided that I want to be invited to all the things, but I want to say no. Like I want the option. Why do you want to say no? I don't know, because I feel like I just rather be in my jammies now. Like I'm just at a a place where I just don't want to go out. Like I don't want to put real pants on. Oh my god, you're not even old. Thanks on. I'm so much older than you. But I like going out. You know, I feel like I'm an introverted extrovert. That's what my shrink tells me. That's how I pay for that. Okay. Then you share that. You paid for it, you share it. But like I have a very out there job and career. And so I have to be on TV a lot or be out and speaking and stuff like that. And so I have to be on. But when I'm not on, like I actually get my power in silence and solidarity and stuff like that. I get it. I get it. And so, yeah, it's not, I'm all about the Jomo lately. What is something that you have saved for that was a huge splurge that you were like, I'm going to save this money and I'm going to completely just raise money to get this one thing? Oh my gosh. I did a series actually, gosh, it was maybe five years ago for AOL called I'll Never Forget My First. And it was talking to power women about the first time they knew they made it. And I wanted to celebrate those indulgences that you give yourself because sometimes they're vilified and, you know, we're meant to feel bad for splurging on ourselves. Now, granted, like the Gucci purse example might not be the best way to go. Like if you really can't afford it, but when you've worked really hard and you buy yourself something that is awesome, I will never forget my first DVF wrap dress. Oh, wow. I was stoked when I could buy your fashion queen of the world. When I could buy a legit wrap dress, I felt like I made it. That's so interesting. Like, because you know, there's like knockoff ones, of course, whatever. Knockoffs of everything. All the things. And so, yeah, I saved up. I got a legit wrap dress and I felt like, damn, I made it. That's amazing. Oh, Diane would love to hear that. You should tell her that. It's in my book. Oh, there you go. Maybe I should highlight that. Yeah, highlight it, pink highlighter, send it over. Yeah. And also, like, I did other women. I think we did this in Rich Bitch. Chrissy Teigen said the first time she knew she made it was when she didn't have to mix water with the little bits of shampoo left. Shampoo oh, conditioner wow. left. But sometimes that helps to just get the last bit out. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. I love it. But there are those small, like, little personal benchmarks and things that you can just celebrate yourself. Like, every day is a celebration. Like, always drink the champagne or the nice bottle. Cause I love that. You never know. I love that. You really, especially in New York, you just, like, hit by a car, like, just walking down the street. Um, so, right now, like, for someone who's listening and they know they have been bad financially, what's, like, the first step? Like, what should they do right now? They turn off this podcast, what should they do to get their finances in order? Is there like a spreadsheet situation? Like what's the first step? Because it's overwhelming, especially if you're not good at it. Right. Correct, Amundo. So with a spreadsheet situation, I know that can like break people out into hives. (laughs) Um, So I say like if a pink colored pencil and, you know, a fun paper does it for you and that keeps you excited about it, like 
get on with your bad self. Um, so whatever does it for you, like I'm not a big, like fancy, you know, technology systems kind of girl. And the truth is a fifth grader can do the math it requires to get your financial life together. It's the humanities part that actually is the most difficult. It's the part where you don't know what to do at dinner with your girlfriends. It's the part where you're talking to your significant other about money. It's how to get your friend to pay you back. Like those are the challenging bits of this. The math part shouldn't be intimidating at all. It's super easy. Um, So just keep track. So I think when you first say like, I've been bad, so to speak, you don't even know where you're at. So when people are like, I blew my budget, I'm like, girl, did you even have a budget? Like, <laughs> you can't, Answer, no. You can't blow a budget you don't have. And oftentimes we think we're doing worse in imagination than in reality. And, you know, the biggest critic is between our ears oftentimes. And so sometimes we're actually doing better than we think. We're just like shaming ourselves for no reason. So if you sit down and you look at it and you come up with you know, benchmarks, it's about not moving those benchmarks. And this is a bigger career discussion about getting your brain to the other side of happiness because we keep changing the goalposts, like, you know, and so don't change the parameters, like come up with the parameters, that's your budget. And you're not being bad if you bought something that was in the budget, even if it's a mani-pedi, it is in the budget, it's above board. It's like, you and I run businesses, right? We have like P&Ls and we have budgets that we look at. Like if staplers is in the budget, like we're gonna buy a stapler, it's fine. If lunches out is in the budget, that's fine. If it's not, then maybe you're being bad. But if it's accounted for, it's above board. Like it's already in there. So I think just come up with what the framework is and stick to that. And don't be mean to my friend. I say that all the time when my girlfriends are like, I'm so bad. I'm just, well, this comes with everything else. Like my hair sucks. I made them fat. Like I'm so bad with money. It's like, okay, don't talk about my friend like that. Because you're my (laughs) Money is your friend. My girlfriends are my friends. Okay. And money is also my friend. <laughs> um, but we talk about ourselves in such terrible ways. Yes. Like, we need to stop the yes. bad self-talk. Yes. You know, we wouldn't talk to our friends that way. I wouldn't say, like, at least you're so bad with money and your hair is terrible. And, like, what? You know, I wouldn't say that to you. So why are we saying that to ourselves? We should be our own friend first. That's true. So I actually, I think you'll be proud of me. So obviously. I'm always proud of you. Thanks, Nicole. I, you know, left my job in March and like a boss, like a boss. Thanks. And you know, when you don't have an expense account, everything is your cost. So networking is really expensive. So I have an Excel sheet for networking Mm. and I keep track of, of course, who I met, what, you know, if we had coffee, lunch, dinner, drinks, whatever, how much I spent, if Mm. I spent, or if they took me out. And then there's also a line of like a nugget of wisdom I got out of it or a nugget of wisdom that I gave, which is all great until I totaled that spreadsheet for March. And I was like, oh my God, I have spent a small fortune, quote unquote, and I have quotes up, (laughs) networking. And in the past, I would never think about it, right? Because I was always expensing it. But now I'm like, wow, it, it takes some funds to get out there. Yeah, girl. It's crazy. I mean, here's the thing. I think you have a great network. And so I think the word networking, you tell me what you think, is kind of like a dirty word in some cases because it feels dirty and transactional. And I think that you've done an awesome job in so many things, but also building like strong relationships. So it's really about going deep in some cases and not wide. 
right? And it's stuff that you don't know where you're going to see the benefit from yeah. later on. Yeah. Like, you'll help, they'll help. And so I feel like, you know, I, I get a lot of emails, too, from women who want to know, like, how to network. And I think it's always, like, coming to any relationship, like, with the long game in mind and being of service. And that is free. And you can be of service both free. It's true. And anyone can be of service. Like, even if you don't have, if you're young, if you're just starting out, like, if somebody needs a recommendation for, like, a DJ at a bat mitzvah or whatever, like, just come to the conversation that way. Like, when people say to me at events, will you be my mentor? I'm like, hell no. Who are you? Who are you? Like, what do you mean? Will I be your mentor? Like, I'm sorry, I'm running a business. Like, if I had a cupcake shop, would you just come to me and be like, can I have free cupcakes? No. Like, no, you cannot. You're so funny. But if they come and they're like, you know what, I've seen you've been working on this and this. I think I can be helpful with this. Like, you know, can we have a meeting about that? I will take those meetings all day, every day, and twice on Sunday because that's really thoughtful. No, listen, that's a great point because there's only so many hours in the day. For sure. Same number as Beyonce. Same number as... Uh, maybe she has more. I know. She, she, she might have more. She might have more. <laughs> I always feel that the most successful people I know, the first question they ask is, how can I help you? How mm-hmm. can I be of help? Yeah. So I agree with that. But, you know, you also want to see people in real life and seeing people, totally. whether it's a coffee or a lunch or whatever. So I think it's really interesting when you say, go deep, not wide. I personally feel like wide, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, who you're going to meet. And my mantra for 2019 is you never know who you're going to meet. So I'm going to like everything that I get invited to sort of actually bringing up Shonda again, her book year. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's my sort of mentality for 2019. And I think that, you know, with quantity, the budget just has to go up a little bit because you're meeting different people. I mean, spending time, like I love you to death, but spending all day long with you, like probably... (laughs) going to be amazing, but probably not going to get me work, right? Mm. So I think it's about budgeting for that. And that's what I've started to do sort of in my mind, which comes into play as mass transit. I have been really conscious about taking mass transit. I know it's shocking. It sometimes requires me to not wear heels, which makes me sad. Okay, but you're wearing like the cutest wedges. Is that what you call not heels? I know. These are Zara. And they're okay, but they're espadrilles. Okay, but they're plat. I'm sorry. That's like they're so time. low. They're like an inch. Oh my god. No, but I I've been uber free. Great. For the most part, sometimes if it's like horribly raining out. So that's been my sort of contribution to sort of fund the networking. You know, at any stage in your life, listen. I'm married. We have two incomes in our household yeah. generally, and it's still something that to be a contributor. You know, you want to be like, you know what? I'm not just like ripping up money and mm. Ubers all day long because David and I did have a talk about that last year. And it how was, was that? There were pie charts wow. involved. Of yeah. course, there were. Yes, because he is in finance. I love that. It was really scary to see it all totaled up like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. I say the best diet is eating only when you're naked in front of a mirror. That's genius. I mean, that's kind of what it is with finances like that. Like, you have to look your destiny in the eye. Oh, my God. That's genius. Well, that is the best. I tell David that. that. I will tell David that. The rich bitch has some advice. You have so much advice. Where can people find you, Nicole? In my bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Wearing matching headbands from your Amazon influencer page. (laughs) 
Honestly, I've sold because I shop from your Instagram. I have sold so many of these. It's true. It's I shop from your Instagram because you wear it every day and you're like Miss Fashion. And so I'm like, I want to be like Lisa when I grow up. I mean, I think it's really funny though. I have repeated so many outfits on Instagram lately. Like every time I look at my Instagram, I'm like, oh, I'm wearing that leopard skirt again. I'm or when that happened, I have like zero shame about it. I'm like, I don't care. I didn't notice that. You always look flawless to me. You're too kind. And like with the red lipstick that not everyone can rock, just it pulls all the things together. Actually, Maybelline just came out with a whole new red that apparently has been scientifically formulated to work on any single skin tone. I'm just saying. So I think you need to deal with them. I, you don't have a deal with them, to be clear. I love baby. No, I do not have a deal with them, but I am, I am a fan and I've worked with them for a long time. And I just think everyone, should wear red lipstick at some point in their life. It's just caffeine for the face. It is. It's a power color. It is. It is. It's like my tapes. That's how I got my first job. Exactly. It was red. Exactly. It was red. My next book cover is red. Yeah. So becoming Superwoman. Yeah. Let's hear about it. I think you once said that you were not going to write another book. And then you wrote another book. And then you said you weren't going to write another book. And then you were like, actually, no, here's my third. That's right. Yeah, I can't believe I'm doing it. And so right here on this podcast, I would like to say I do not want another one because I'm <laughs> of like... You're going on the record. This. Like, it's like kids. I haven't had actual human babies. You've birthed human babies and a book baby. I don't know. Like, the book didn't have an epidural. What was harder? Um, writing a book is really hard. Yeah. And marketing and promoting a book. Yeah. The real work comes after. You're totally right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought I would write Rich Bitch, I'd call it a day, I'd be like a TV person who had a book, I'd send it for Hanukkah, and like, be done. And then it became a thing, and like, what I realized is that there was a big white space in this market, like, nobody was talking to us about finance in an accessible way, in the same way as we would talk to our girlfriends, um, chilling in our matching headbands about boys or whatever, and so I thought... You know, I didn't know that I was like sort of, and even this is cliche, disrupting this genre in the bookstore, like by swearing for the very first time in a finance book, say it isn't so. And then, yeah, it became popular. And then you see the kid and you're like, it's so cute. I forget the pain. Yeah. Let's do this again. And that's what keeps happening. But this one is actually something that I felt really compelled to do because I sold a different book. And then I had a super big breakdown and burnout after my second book. And I was like, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, then a lot of other women are. And so I wanted to talk about my experience in in that naked way that I do everything else. You're so transparent. I love it. And people are going to get so much out of this book because, you know, there is so much pressure on women. And in general right now, I mean, I have to be honest, like, I feel like in a way, the idea that we can do everything, it's almost making it worse because at the end of the day, it's like, you're still one person and you have to think about what is best for you first so you can be there for other people. And I think that's, you know, your, your entire premise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about what you're doing now. You are your own business card. Right. If Elisa's not good, you're not going to have business. Right. Right. If you're, you know, with crippling depression or can't get out of bed or like just not healthy yourself like how are you going to be of service to anyone else I mean they don't say put your oxygen mask on first before helping others on the plane just to buy time it's so true it's important it's true you can't pour from an empty cup so tweet that 
girl. Yeah, you tweet that, girl. <laughs> That's your line. I can't wait for it to come out. Thank you. I can't wait to go to all your book parties. You're doing such a service because in general, I think women are totally allergic to this conversation and you're making it accessible and you're not condescending and you're making it fun because you are fun and you're making it something that, you know, people can digest in small bites and everyone go out and buy rich bitch and boss bitch because they are so empowering and so actionable and Follow Nicole Lappin on all of her channels. Yay. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. I love you. I love you the most. And I love your bathroom. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at alizalickxo or reach out on Twitter at alizalickt. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.